Well, hopefully you've still got your Bibles open there, because that's the passage we'll be looking at. <clears throat> so let me just pray for us. Father, we thank you again that you have spoken, that you've spoken in and through your word, the word that centres in the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and we pray as we think about it now that you'll open our hearts and minds to it. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, well, this is a VIP passage, right? This is a key passage that we've just read. Because what it's doing is it's taking all the sacrificial work of Jesus, all that he's done on the cross, that superior priesthood and covenant and sacrifice, and then bringing it into application in our lives, both individually and as a Christian community. So that's why it's such an important passage. Now, throughout Hebrews, the spotlight, of course, keeps shining on the centrality of Jesus, isn't it? The Jesus who is the last word of God, the one who's the very son of God, the one who has made purification of sins. That spotlight keeps shining. You know, you know what spotlights are like, don't you? When I was driving up this morning, because it was still dark, <laughs> um, on the range, there looked like there was a spotlight flashing up in the thing and lighting up a, around there. So we know what spotlights are like. And that's what the author's doing as you move through Hebrews. He's, he's putting the spotlight on Jesus, on the centrality of Jesus. And so as we hear the book of Hebrews, as we hear what the author calls, remember in chapter 13, a brief word of exhortation then we're encountering God's unfolding plan of salvation from eternity to eternity because it is dealing with the God of eternity, the God who comes into our lives and draws us into eternity. So let's have a bit of a close look at Hebrews 10, uh, 10 9 to 25. Now, there's stacks in this passage and I'm not going to deal with everything Otherwise, we might be here for an African sermon, which is normally two hours in length. Okay, So <clears throat> as we begin this passage, what do we find? We find a big therefore. Right? Therefore, brothers, since we have. Now, this big therefore is on par with some other big therefores. <clears throat> like, for example, Romans 5.1. Therefore, we have peace with God, isn't it? Because of what Jesus has done. Or Romans 12. Therefore, on the depending on the mercies of God, present your bodies to him, and so on. So this is a big therefore. So it's moving the readers of Hebrews from what God's done in Jesus, drawing up all that he's been talking about before, right, about Christ, about him being perfect high priest, all of that, the once for all sacrifice for sin. He's drawing all that up and saying, this is what it means for Christians, for the church. So here's the second major turning point. First one there in chapter 4, 14 to 16, which draws up and points us forward. And here again, drawing in and pointing us forward. Key hinge point. Right? So he's, he's drawn up all of that together. What he's saying in there, therefore, is saying, I want you to remember all that I've been saying in chapters 5 to 10 and how I'm going to apply it what it really means, what it means to love and trust this Jesus, 
the Jesus whose person and work of salvation has been so carefully explained throughout the book. And of course, once he starts going into this, then the applications keep rolling on right to the end of the book. He keeps on pushing it and pushing it to see that we can understand it properly. So, <clears throat> when we come to a passage like this, it is structured in a particular way. See, structure helps us to understand the purpose. And one commentator expressed it quite succinctly in these words, to spur on his hearers to action, grounded in the truths about Jesus that he's expounded up to this point. That's what he's seeking to do. So we want to consider how <clears throat> the author is shaping up the structure of our passage. Now, it is so important that the author doesn't even stop to pause. These verses are just one long sentence. So he's obviously been taking some lessons from the Apostle Paul in some of his letters where he writes long sentences. But of course the way this sentence sort of has all the parts fitting together is the key to understanding it. So I want to read it again <clears throat> with its structure displayed on the screen so we get the drift again. Because often in the English Bibles we don't quite get the way it's structured. So, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, what flows? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. Now, the author has structured this passage around two halves and three lettuces. Okay, two halves, three lettuces. The two halves Christians are blessed with both arise from Christ's high priesthood. That's 19 to 21. Then based on all that, he then urges three lettuces, highlighting faith, hope and love. Okay, so let's have a look at the big halves to begin with. So the key thrust of what he's doing is saying, on the basis of our access to God through Christ's sacrifice, I want you to respond in faith and hope and love. So he says, we have confidence. Now he's already picked up that subject earlier on in the letter. Back in chapter 3, he said, maintain the confidence, especially when finding mercy and grace in times of need. And back in the end of chapter 4, that confidence was objectively grounded in Christ's high priestly work. Now it's similar here. Christ's sacrifice is what enables Christians to have free and continued access into the heavenly tabernacle. That is, access to the true tabernacle in heaven, where Christ appears before God's presence on our behalf. And that's been brought up earlier on. It's there in chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9. This, all this same thinking about it. That's why he's drawing it up together in this passage. Now note how he expresses it. He says, we have access through the blood of Jesus. 
Jesus' death is what's brought this to bear. We have free access to God because of Christ. And that's really at the heart of our Christian faith is that we can stand before our God, before the living God, the creator of the world, with heads held high because he sees us through Jesus. Jesus has opened that up for us. And that blessing is reinforced in verse 20 in two ways. He says it's new since it belongs to the new covenant which he's talked about. The earthly covenant has now been cast aside. It is living, or we could say life-giving, because Christ has opened up access to eternal life. It's secured by his death. The author puts it this way, the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his body or through his flesh. Right Now, you can see the picture he's using, isn't it? Where is curtain and Jesus brought together before this? This is a question that you answer, okay? <laughs> yes, exactly right. Remember, when Jesus is crucified, the temple curtain is torn in two, right? That temple curtain stood between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. It sort of said, you cannot enter in here because of your sin. Only the high priest, once a year, bringing atonement for the sins of the nation. But now that's gone because Christ has opened up access to us, to God. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, isn't that fantastic? Oh, God, no, God, God. Okay, now it's really a relief, isn't it? It's a relief to know that blessing of access through Christ is there for us and it's only through Christ. And it's irrespective of who we are. It doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor, handsome like me or ugly like Dennis. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Right? It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we've accomplished. We don't have to be a prime minister or anything. None of those things are a matter. And nor is it lost through our failures. And we know them plenty, don't we? If you're married, you know how often we fail one another. But our access to God isn't dependent on that, not dependent on who we are, what we've done, or even our failures. It's only dependent on Jesus Christ. What a marvellous blessing that is. That's why we've got confidence. And then the second blessing Christians have, possess, is a great priest over the house of God, this great high priest the perfect one, the one who's offered the perfect sacrifice. And that breeds confidence, doesn't it? It assures us that this is the person ruling over the house of God, ruling over us. He is God the Son, the faithful, the merciful, the tender high priest. So verses 19 to 21 are reminding us that Christ is at the centre of our faith. He's central to our personal and church life. The more we honour Jesus, the more God is at work, the more the Spirit is driving us on to focus on Jesus. So we mustn't be distracted from proclaiming Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. Nor must we be diverted from preaching Christ as the heartbeat of the Bible. 
whether or not our world is pressuring us to conform to its expectations and its value systems. Christ is the one we need to keep centre all the time. So that's what the author's saying about our two halves. And then it comes on to the three lettuces. I don't know how else to say let us in plural. Three lettuces. Now, unfortunately, as we heard in our reading today, when translators bringing it into English try to make it easier for us to read, connections can be lost. And so you would have seen how it sort of turned the, the three lettuces into a few more <laughs> in the reading. And you, you, you can still find the connections, but it's harder because of the way it's written. So we've got to keep that in mind. It's two halves, only three lettuces. Okay? So the first one is, let us draw near in faith, verse 22. Now, throughout Hebrews, the language of drawing near is really significant. We find it in chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. It's significant language in the way the author expresses these truths. It's the key to the way believers are meant to respond to the person and work of Jesus. So in verse 22, we're being urged to confidently take hold of the benefits of this new relationship we have with God through Christ. To seize the opportunity of access to God made possible by Christ's priesthood and sacrifice. Now the drawing near is in full assurance of faith. Now that's how we begin our Christian life, isn't it? That we come to God in that assurance of faith as we put our faith in Jesus. But what this is saying is that we continue in the same way we began. We continue coming to our God in faith, drawing near. And we're to constantly express our trust in Jesus and his saving work. And it's expressed again in these words, sprinkled clean our hearts from an evil conscience and washed our bodies in pure water. Right? Remember back in chapter 1 in those opening verses? After he'd made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God because his work was completed. Levitical priests all stood up because their work was never completed. He sat down, work completed. And so we've had that purification expressed here in this language of sprinkled, uh, heart sprinkled clean, bodies washed in pure water. We've been cleansed. Now, the language of drawing near, near certainly includes prayer, even though the language is meant to in indicate wider than that. But it includes prayer. Perhaps at times, like I think the isolation many experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic with lockdowns and the rest of it, I think times like that, isolation times, the temptations to commit unaccountable or unnoticed sins can be overpowering because there's no one else around. And certainly with the internet, it's easy to do it, isn't it? And that's why it's vital for us when we meet together, particularly when we meet together, to be assured of our forgiveness. That as we come again and confess our sins, then we can be comforted by the assurance that they are forgiven 
because of Jesus' sacrifice. Our forgiveness isn't dependent on how good or bad we are, but on what Jesus has done. And that is a wonderful, wonderful comfort. And so when Cranmer firmed up our Anglican services in the Reformation, generally that confession of sins was at the beginning so that we could enjoy the rest of the service, so to speak, knowing that we stand forgiven and being reassured of that, that we can then rejoice. So let us draw near with faith. Then he says, let us hold fast our hope, verse 23. I don't know if um, during the the COVID things you noticed that um, Italian opera singer who sang Amazing Grace in front of a cathedral. Um, And he began all that by saying this, hope drives life. Hope drives life. It's not a bad little summary. So in Hebrews, hope is describing the objective content of our hope. It's not the act of hoping, it's the content of hope. That's the focus in Hebrews. And so that content of hope centred in Jesus, of course, drives our life, our life into eternity. See, this hope is concerned with both present and future salvation. We can be confident because of God's faithfulness. He always keeps his promises. Put up your hand if you've always kept your promises. None of us do, do we? And again, if you're married, you know how often that failure of keeping your word happens and we need to confess that and ask for forgiveness. But with God, there's no, nothing like that. He always keeps his promises. Paul says in Corinthians that all the promises of God have their amen in Jesus. So we know he doesn't fail us. We may fail others, but Jesus doesn't fail us. And Romans reminds us too, doesn't it, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, anywhere, because we can depend on him. So as the writer writes to these folk in the first century, they're having to hold fast in the face of fierce opposition and there will be times of very violent persecution. In our 21st century world, the intensity of opposition or persecution will so often depend on where we live. Yet we're still, all of us are still in constant danger from the many subtle temptations of our materialistic world. And they bombard us, don't they? The exposure to social media the demands of employment, the pressures of simply trying to make ends meet. And those temptations that come through those things can can easily sort of drift us into making small but significant compromises of our faith. Now, we need to reflect on that, don't we, in our lives and be aware of those times. That's why as we continue to meet together, we're in a sense accountable to one another and we need to be encouraging one another in that, that we must not compromise our faith. And so as we come together of a Sunday, that's part of what we're doing, isn't it? We're reminding one another of our certain hope and we want to strengthen that grasp on hope. 
And we do it in a number of ways, don't we? Obviously, God's word is central to that. But we do it in our whole service, isn't it? So the words of our songs that we sing, the creeds we declare, the prayers we share. And that's why choosing songs, creeds, prayers requires time and careful thought in preparation and response because we're wanting to encourage one another to hold fast our hope. It's part of our caring for one another. At the 8 o'clock service, um, Adrian O normally um, chooses the hymns and send them through and he's really working really hard to dovetail it in with our series on Hebrews. This morning you will have already picked up some of the songs we've sung have already been doing that, haven't they? Drawing near language and so on. It's really important to keep being reminded. Okay, so be thankful for those doing those things and working so hard at it. Thirdly, this is where the Bible says we can all be watered a big spoon for being stirrers. You see, we are all able to be stirrers. Let us stir one another up to love. Now this is where our translations often lose the connection in particular. It is a let us, so it's not just an individual responsibility, it's a corporate responsibility as well, because we are a community of believers. And lettuces have occurred in lots of places in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 12. <laughs> Lettuce runs all through. So I hope you all like lettuces. Um, and so it says here we're to consider, and the, the meaning of the word is to focus our minds and efforts on the needs of fellow Christians. And the purpose is to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Now later on in chapter 10, the author recounts some past examples of how these Christians he's concerned for, how they were effective stirrers and how they spurred on one another to love expressed in good deeds. Well, the key with the lettuces here and why there's only three is the relationship between what comes next in verse 25. See, how are we to be stirrers? How are we to be godly stirrers? Well, there's two aspects. The first is a negative. Do not neglect the meeting together. Do not give up meeting together. It's vital if we're going to obey what's being said here. Right? So that negative is saying, do not neglect. Now, we've got to listen very carefully to that challenge. Our mutual care, being godly stirrers, can't be sustained if we don't regularly meet together. And the seriousness of this challenge is highlighted by the language the author uses. We are not to neglect, or we could translate that word as abandon. In the LXX, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this same word is so often used in covenantal context for reproof of Israel for when they abandon the Lord. Deuteronomy, Judges, Samuel and so on. So you see the, the author's drawing on a very strong word here and a word with history. So don't abandon, don't neglect and then he gives the positive. Encourage one another 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's an amazing statement here that as Christians gather, we anticipate the final ingathering of God's people because our local assembly is the earthly counterpart to the heavenly church. And we'll see that drawn out in particular detail in chapter 12. That's why Christians should always be longing to meet together for it's a foretaste of heaven. And so neglecting our gathering becomes a serious spiritual issue. And that's why he's made this strong word here in chapter 10. So as we meet together, we're to mutually encourage each other in godly living, to stir up one another to love and good deeds. And of course at the heart of that is the scriptures which the whole book of Hebrews is highlighting. But this encouragement has an urgency about it. See the urgency? It says, as you see the day approaching, day drawing near, the day of Jesus' return. He's saying to the people, look, this present world order is not going to last because Jesus is returning. It's all fitting into God's timetable. So, keep encouraging one another to stay true to Jesus until he comes again. Or in the words of chapter 3, but encourage one another daily while it is still called today, that is when Jesus comes there won't be another today, so to speak. So that none of you, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, it's a corporate responsibility that we have. Because as coming Christians, we're drawn in to God's family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's we who will share eternity. So when you put all those things together, the two halves leading into the three lettuces, you can see how this is a vital word from God for us. And so the challenge is to grasp hold its truths. The truths centred in the work of Jesus in forgiveness in access to God through what he's done. And of course to rejoice in its truths. That was the title of the first song, wasn't it, Esther? Rejoice? Is that right? Yeah. Rejoice in its truths. In other words, to be always thankful for our merciful high priest. As Paul says elsewhere, to pray with thanksgiving. Right? Prayer is asking, but we always ask with thankfulness and then the implication of the lettuces is to obey what it's saying to be mutually encouraging one another in faith hope and love and in a sense we should be praying that that will take place as we gather week by week that we'll be godly stirrers okay so that's a good prayer to be praying isn't it that when we come next Sunday, we'll have prayed that God will give us the strength to be a godly stirrer. Let me pray. Dear God, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for the wonderful privilege to meet together as your people in this place. And we ask, Father, that you'll help us to grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus so that we may faithfully serve him 
in our day-to-day lives and as we meet with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Father, we just commit all this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.